Hey, we're starting a brand new series today called uh, I Love My Church. And uh, how many love you, church? Good, I'll preach a lot better today now that I know that. Um, You know, there's certain places that we have to go in life that uh, you don't really get an option on. You have to go there. Uh, Things that you have to go and do. And, And some of these are places you enjoy. Some of these are places you don't enjoy. Um, you know, I, my, my family and I, we love Disney World. Any Disney World people in here? I love Disney World. Um, my family, my wife loves it a lot more than I do. Uh, she's actually always asking when we're going back. I'm asking her when she's going to get a job. Um, okay, that was, I'm sorry. Um, but if anybody that's been to Disney World knows that you have to take out a half a mortgage uh, to go there. Um, or if you want to bless us, just let us know either way. All of our trips so far, we've not had to pay for, which has been really nice. Uh, how many of y'all want that one? And so uh, those are the nice ones. But there are places that you have to go in, in, in just in life in general that usually don't fare too well. Sometimes they're good. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to put, we're going to do a little interactive thing here. I'm going to put some images on the screen of different locations. And I want you just to tell me what is the first natural reaction, first word, just first word. Don't cuss, but first word, I mean, I guess you could, but I mean, anyway, please don't, keep it low. Um, so let's, let's put up the first place. Just, just shout it out. What's the first? The DMV. Come on. I heard some booze. I heard some waiting. Come on, what else? Uh, okay. All right. You know, y'all never been to a DMV till you've been to a Texas DMV. I came to Jennings to go to the DMV. I was the only one in there. I was like, this is the best place ever. The ladies are like, come on in. You go in Texas, you're actually like this. This is a true picture. You're actually outside. And there's like five lines on the inside. You're waiting to get into the DMV at Texas. Jennings is probably not as bad. So if you've only been to Jennings DMV, you don't know. I've been, I'm a Texas boy, so we've, we have some crazy ones. Let's go to the second one. Just tell me what you think. <clears throat> Pain, ouch. Money. How many want money? Money is the first thing that comes to root canals. <clears throat> I, I, I have naturally have bad teeth. My family's given me bad teeth. Not because I don't brush my teeth. I do sometimes. And then <laughs> just if I fall asleep. Anyways. Another thing, but uh, I, I I've been to the dentist a lot, and and I think every tooth of mine feel like has been a cavity at some point. And this last time I went to the dentist, probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and I called my wife. I was like, "You need a shout. We need to be excited. I have no cavities," and that was a big deal. I <laughs> know, so maybe not for y'all. It is for us when you have to pay for it. Um, okay, let's put up this next one. The TSA. Anybody been on an airplane before? <clears throat> Anybody have to pass through these guys? Yeah. You feel molested after you get out of there, oftentimes. And they always pick up. Now, listen, I'll say this. Uh, maybe for you this isn't a big deal, but for us and our family, I wish, I wish, I, I was trying to find a picture because I've known, I've, I've snapped a couple of pictures, I couldn't find one, of when we've traveled to Denver with Joel and all of his medicine. You talk about, like, put off the red warning signs for every TSA member there. Try walking through with a backpack on your son's back that can't go through the metal detector, and then you've got a bag of just liquid. <laughs> it takes us forever to get through, through TSA. 
Uh, and so we, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. So we go to these places, and, and most of the time, most of the cases, we, we go there because we have to. We don't go there because we want to. And, and there's kind of some negative connotations for, for many of those places that we have. Nobody in here said, I love it. Yeah, nobody did that. Uh, these are just places that we naturally have a disregard. If we can stay away from there as much as possible, we do. Now, I don't want you to shout out loud this one, but if I was to throw a picture of our church on the screen, what would be the reaction? You can think internally of what that would be, but I want us to process through that because oftentimes for many people, when they think of church, they often do associate the church like going to the DMV. Now, maybe you don't, but there are many people that associate going to the church like going to the dentist. Like if I, I, my, my tooth hurts and I'm going to go to the dentist, he's going to hurt me more. And people feel like that. Like I'm already hurt spiritually. I'm going to go to the church. They're going to just make me hurt more. Y'all with me? And so a lot of people have a, a distorted view of church oftentimes. And for many people, church is a place that we have to go to more than it's a place that we want to go to. And so my, my heart for this series is for us to really look at the church as God sees the church and, and how he views the church. And, and we know that Jesus loves his church. And so my, my, my heart is, if Jesus loves something, I want to love something. And if Jesus loves his church, I want to love his church. Now, let me do a, a quick pause before we dive right into the message today, because I know that there are some people here um, that you have been a part of some churches that were, were pretty rough. Maybe you've been a part of churches that split and you went through that whole drama. Or maybe you went, you went to some churches that were very judgmental. And so you walked in, you just felt judged immediately as soon as you walked in. Or maybe you've been a part of some churches where the pastor or the staff or the people that were there, the elders were there, and they were just extremely mean or rude, or you just, you, you've had some church hurt. And let me just say this first and foremost, for all those that are in here that have that and have had that experience, I'm sorry. That's not how church should be. Um, church should be the place you want to go to, and church should be the place where the pastors and the leaders are, are not trying to be the exception. They're trying to be the example. Right. Leadership, is not, leadership is not about you being the exception. It's about you being the example. And so if there's anything I loved about Pastor Bella and Ms. Tracy and really all of our pastoral staff and elders, I think we take that very seriously, that we're, we're not the exception. We're not above people. We, we get to lead people and be the example of how to walk through pain and how to walk through life and how to love Jesus and how to love your wives. Come on, somebody with me on that one? And so we want to be a part of a church where you can, you can do that. Now, let me also say this, though. If you've been at this church and you've been hurt by us, I'm sorry. But we're also natural, normal, sinful, imperfect people. And so if you haven't been hurt by us, just stick around. <laughs> it's going to happen because here's the deal. How many of you would say in your natural family you've never had a fight? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So when the Bible talks about us as a church family and as a spirit, you'll hear us talk about a spiritual family, especially during this series. Uh, how many you know family's going to fight? 
family's going to disagree. Family's going to butt heads. Family's going to have some stuff that, that comes up. It's natural. It's natural. And, but I, I pray that when that happens, that we would be quick to resolve, quick to repent, and quick to make things right instead of allowing the enemy to use it to bring division. And so, uh, so if you've been hurt by another church, I'm sorry. If you've been hurt by us, I'm sorry. Um, it, it happens. We're not going to pretend that we're a perfect church by any means. We are not. Um, and as soon as you find the perfect church, when you step into it, it becomes not perfect anymore. And so my goal, of course, in this series is for us to just look at what is the church and why does Jesus love it so much. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at what is the church, what is it, and why does Jesus love it so much. In the coming weeks, next week is going to be a huge week for us. I'll talk about it at the end of the message. Um, we'll talk about the, a relational church and how God's called us to be together and as one. And then we'll get into a sacrificial church and we'll get into a missional church and all that that goes on. All right, you ready? No, you're not. No, you're not. Are you ready? Okay. We're responsive. We awake. We alive. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You can open up your Bibles there. You can turn on your Bibles there. Or you can just look at your notes. Or you can look at the screen. Four different ways for you to have a Bible here today. Uh, We're going to throw it on the screen in just a minute. But Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start with the very first thing of what the church is. And this is what I want to do. I want to take your perspective of whatever you think the church is. And hopefully I want to address it if it's wrong. I want to confirm it and reaffirm it if it's right. And so we're going to look at what the church is not and what the church is. So the first and foremost, if you want to take some notes, the church is not a place. Can anybody fill this in? It's a, it's a people. It's a people. The church is not a place. It's a people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. We're going to read this together. It says this, he brought this good news of peace to you, Gentiles, who were far away from him. Underline that word, far away. Far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Underline the word near. Now all of us, all of us, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Underline that, strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's Family, Come on, underline that. Members of God's family, together we are, come on, finish it out. What is it? We are his house. We are his house. So the church is not a place, it's a people. Now listen, there's nothing special about this place. There's nothing special about these buildings. If actually you knew how these buildings were constructed, I mean, it's just metal and some concrete and some walls and it's not much. If you knew the story of how we came here, this was the old Columbia Gulf building. Actually, the front building that our OSC Kids building is in was our, was our church when we first moved here. Um, and, and it was just an old Columbia Gulf building. That's all it was. It was, a, it was an oil company that had it. This actually back here was just a, a, a warehouse. This is an addition on, but there was a warehouse here. And that's it. Come on, you know, there's nothing super spiritual about an oil company building. <laughs> That's what it was. And if you go to, if you go to Eunice right now, they, they're, they're meeting in a building that we ended up renovating that inside of it had a dentist office, a massage parlor, and aqua foods. Come on, how do you know there's nothing spiritual about a dentist office? <laughs> Up and down. We just talked about that one, okay. But people are there now, loving Jesus, serving Jesus. You got a church in there. You drive 15 minutes and go east of us to Crowley, and they're meeting in the Rice Theater. 
The same place on Saturday night they do honky-tonk on Sunday morning. They're loving Jesus. <laughs> Come on, we got Wayne Toops on Saturday. Then you got Zach McCann on Sunday. <laughs> uh, but there's nothing special about the place. It's the people. A hurricane could come through, and God forbid that would ever happen, but a hurricane can come through and destroy this whole campus, all the property, and we would still be the church. We'd go up in the middle of a field and pitch a tent and be in church. You can come over to my house. Not all of y'all, a couple of y'all. Come over to my house. I can't fit y'all all. And, and we can have church. So if these buildings were not here, we would still be the church. See, we are the church. So as followers of Jesus, we don't go to church. We are the church. And something needs to click in our, in, in, in our, even our perspective, because oftentimes we say we're going to go to church. And I understand the premise behind it. We're, we're going to a church, but oftentimes we can even misconstrue that, and, and, and our kids can, can begin to think that church is the building and don't really remember that when they go home, they're the church too. You're the church. We're the church. Life groups will kick off next week and homes all over the place. we got 14, 15 different life groups that are going to be happening all over in different cities. And in those homes and in those coffee shops, they're going to be the church. The church is not a place. It's a people. And I want to show you this. And I want to show you not only are we a, pl- a people, but this verse says that, that God brought the message of peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. Those who are far away and those who were near. And if you were to poll this, well, let's poll. Let's poll this audience. Let's find out. With a raise of hands, I want you to raise your hands if this applies to you. How many of you did not grow up in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise it high so everybody see. Didn't grow up in a Christian home? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you grew up in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Woo, wow. How many of you grew up, okay, put your hands down. How many of you grew up in a Christian home, but you ran away from God, partied it up, and then came back? Raise your hand. That was everybody who was raised in a Christian home. <laughs> I, I feel you. I know. I know. Uh, how many of you came to know Jesus in uh, zero to 20 years of age, in, the, in that age? Younger than 20. You came to know Jesus younger than 20. Okay. How many of you came to know Jesus in your 20s? Raise your hand. How many of you came to know Jesus in your 30s? 40s, 50s, that's, that's good, 60 on, any? Okay, all right. How many of you, your parents are still happily married? Maybe let me take off happily. How many of your parents are still married? <laughs> how, how, raise it, if your parents are still married, raise your hand, okay? Parents are divorced, raise your hand. Wow. <clears throat> how many of you have a college education? Raise your hand. We're a smart crowd. Um, how many of you don't? Okay. <clears throat> how many of you, now we're getting a little more serious here. How many of you have a past that has drugs or alcohol in it? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay. We're in the right place. How many of you have had some form of abuse in your background? Raise your hand. Wow. So, do you see? God draws people both far and near. People that have been raised in church, you, you, you came out of the womb and your mom was like, Jesus, and brought you straight to the church. <laughs> and you've been in church ever since. 
And, and you've been in church for so long that you've tried to do all these good things, you've tried to be a good person. That's why actually for many of you, I relate to so many of you because you were raised in a Christian home and so it was really all about what you did and what you didn't do and you finally figured out that you gotta make your own convictions and so you went off and partied it up, really, and then you realized like my parents are really right and now you found your own convictions and Jesus saved you there. And so that was me. I was actually saved in my religion. I went to church all the time. I went to private school, never stepped a foot in public school my entire life. Never smoked. I was, I was a virgin before I was married. All of those things were me. That was me. But yet God saved me from my own religion, my own godness. I thought I was God. I thought everybody else needed saving, and I was pretty good. And God rescued me. So I was what, what it seemed near. And then there's those of you who God rescued you far. You were, I mean, you came out of the womb and, and your mom was maybe the only one there. Dad wasn't even there. Dad was passed out in alcohol. Or maybe he wasn't even there at all. Or maybe your parents are strung out on drugs and then it led to a lifestyle of you being strung out on drugs and then you have abuse in your life, lifetime and then you've had just pain and all this stuff and you just went off and did your own thing. You didn't care anything about God whatsoever and then God rescued you in the midst of your mess there. And that's the story of some of you as well. But it's funny how he takes, it's not funny, it's really cool actually, how he takes people that were really near and saves them and people that were really far and he saves them and then guess what he does? He puts them in the same family. And so for some of you, you have a, a, you have a low compassion for people that are far from God because you, you don't feel like you ever were. But there are people in here that were really far from God, and you have a lot of compassion for people that have drug abuse because you came out of it, and God rescued you. Y'all with me here? And I'll say this. I think sometimes the people furthest from God are the ones who, have the most, who think they have the most of them. I think some of the people that are farthest from God are the people that sit in church every weekend because they're so inoculated to religion that they don't realize that they're actually lost. And so, uh, and so with all that being said, God draws people both near and far. Now, let me, let me, let, let's take some notes here because I want to speak to something, and I think this will really help you because when you see the church as a place and not a people, there's three things that happen in our life. Three things that happen. When you see the church as a place, you just go and attend, and then you leave, and it's just a building or it's just a, a place that you go, and it's not a people that you're a part of. There's three things that happen in our lives. First one is this. You live compartmentalized. You live compartmentalized. What I mean by that is church literally becomes a task off of your checklist, off of your to-do list. Go to work, check. Go to school, check. Take the kids to football practice, check. Go to church, check. And that's what it literally becomes. It becomes something where we compartmentalize. We believe that our relationship, when we view this way with God, is something that happens on Sunday in a particular location, and you forget that that same God, that same relationship, wants to happen with you Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday. But when you view the church only as a place and not as a people, then you view your relationship with God that only really happens on Sunday morning. And outside of that, then you've got your life. Y'all with me here? And so everything is compartmentalized. So instead of it being Jesus, I, 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 people say this all the time, that, that you should prioritize. And I understand where they're coming. It should be Jesus, and then you know, maybe your spouse or family, and then maybe your kids, and then your job and all that. And I understand all that. The problem that I have with that, though, is you compartmentalize even that. 
So what ends up happening is you're like, I got my Jesus time, and then I get out of that, and then I got my, my you know, date my wife and spend time with her time, and then I get out of that, and I got my kids time, and I, and I get out of that. And so the problem is, I don't think that's right. I think Jesus wants to be in all of that. I think this way. I think Jesus should be at the center of our lives, and everything like a big bicycle wheel that's got spokes coming out of it should, should come out of Jesus. So Jesus is in my marriage, and Jesus is in my kids, and Jesus is in my work, and Jesus is in my family and Jesus in my neighborhood. Y'all with me here? We don't live compartmentalized. You can't read anything in the scripture where he says, go have your Jesus time and then you just do whatever your time. No, Jesus wants to be a part of every time. And the church should be a part of what we do. I, I don't just come and clock in on nine to five for my church time and then I come here on Sunday mornings and then when I leave, I'm like, turn on my phone, forget you, you know? It just doesn't work that way. Like the church is the church. The church is a part of my family. Church is over at my house all the time. No, of course there's borders and, and there's balance and there's all that that's in there, but I don't think most of us have an issue with balance. I think most of us have an issue with compartmentalization. And so we can compartmentalize, and if your faith is exclusively exists only in a building, you miss the point of the very faith that you actually have. Because that faith was never meant for inside of a building. It was meant to get outside of the building. Second thing is this, you get cheated. First, you live compartmentalized. Secondly, you get cheated. Because this is how you view the church. You view church just as another thing in your list. And so what ends up happening is church becomes a less of a priority in your life. And so you begin to find other ways to maybe get church. Like, I mean, I'm going to just skip today. It's a beautiful day today. And so I'm just going to stay home and I'm just going to mow my grass. And, or, you know what, I'm going to watch Joyce and TD and Joel. They are my pastors. Well, Joyce, TD, and Joel ain't showing up at the hospital. And, 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 and let me even say this. I'll, I'll go as far as even saying that when you view the church as a place, you can isolate yourself from the people who can unlock your purpose. And so the, the, the point of coming on Sunday is not just to be in the place and hear a message. The point is for you to be a part of this, to rub shoulders with this, to experience the presence of God. Can the presence of God be in your home? Yes, and I totally understand that. But we begin to come into this isolated social, I can go on social media and you know, I can read a sermon and, you know, I'm, I'm good. That is the church. No, you by yourself is not the church. The church is a people. And if you don't realize the importance of people, the church, the family of church gathering together, you're going to cheat yourself. You're going to cheat yourself because what you're going to do is you're going to think that church is just about you getting a message and about you, but it's not. You have some... You don't even realize this. On Sunday mornings, when you come, you have something that God wants you to give to somebody else. People need you. They need to feed off of you. And so I, I tell people all the time, get people here in the church because I believe the presence of God is here and he's going to change people's lives. And then people are going to come in and go, man, that church was friendly. Man, they welcomed me and I felt like I was at home. Come on, you don't get that on the couch. And you need people in your life to go walk up to you and go, hey, how are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm okay. And they're like, yeah, really, come on. How's things going? Okay, let me, <laughs> you know. And if you don't, you get cheated. And last, number three, <laughs> this one might be a little touchy. You become critical. When you view the church as a place and not a people, you become critical. You, you dehumanize the church and you make the church a place and forget that it's not a place, it's a people. And so when you get, 
It's easy to crit- criticize a place. It's a whole other thing when you criticize people because that's a person. That's a person that's there. Let me, let me, let me put it even this way. Like you can make fun of my house. You can make fun of my cars. You can make fun of any of my stuff. You can make fun of me. I got big shoulders. You talk about my wife. You talk about my kids. It's on like Donkey Kong. And don't you dare get Mama Bear upset because she's going to bring it on a whole nother level. And, and the Bible says that the church is like a family. And so when you diss the church, you diss God's family. And if there's anything that makes God more upset is when you go after his family. And so when we view the church just as a place, like, oh, I can't believe that place. And you view it, you, get real, you can get real critical of the place and don't realize it's a people and there's people there. Are y'all with me here? We don't want to get critical because the Bible says that the church is Jesus' bride and you don't touch his bride. Just like you don't touch my bride. So we compartmentalize, we get cheated, and we become critical. The church is not a place, it's a people. And let me just say this as well. On top of that, it's a place filled with perfectly imperfect people. So if you came in here all jacked up, broke up, in debt, screaming at your husband before you pulled up in the parking lot, maybe did some drugs last night, maybe passed out in the foyer on the couch, drunk, I don't know, whatever, welcome home. And when people go, man, that's just so hypocritical. Well, listen, the church is full of them, and why don't you just join us? Because we're all broken people, and the only person that is perfect is Jesus. And so we can all freely come in here and, and share our pains and our, and our sins. Now listen, does Jesus want you to stay there? No. It's okay to not be okay. You need to hear me say this. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. So if you walk in here and your marriage is a wreck, you're a wreck, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to be real about that. What's not okay is for you to stay like that for a year. That's not okay. But I believe that you come in here and the presence of Jesus meets you, you got some work that Jesus is going to do in your heart. I believe it wholeheartedly. And that's not for me. I believe just the Bible and the Holy Spirit does that in you. Y'all with me? All right. Number two, the church is not, a, is not built on programs. It's built on a person. It's not built on programs. It's built on a person. Ephesians 2.20, let's, let's keep reading. So it says, together we are his house. We'll do a lot more work on that next week. Built on, now watch this, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is who? Come on, Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together. Now look at this. You can underline this if it's not already underlined. In him... We are joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Now watch this. Through him, you can underline that, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So it's built on the foundation of the apostles. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself, and we are carefully joined together in him. We're joined together through him. And let me just say this, if we don't say this enough, what makes this church the church and what makes this church the community that of, 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 
of uniqueness across the whole world because people can gather together. I mean, people do it all the time. They gather together at social clubs and they gather together at events and they gather together at Death Valley and they gather, people gather, you gather, we all gather. That doesn't make it the church. What makes us the church is not that we just gather. What makes us a church is because of one person, one person only, and his name is Jesus. And what makes this church what it is, is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is 100% the main thing, 100%. Everything we do as a church must be centered around Jesus, not around Pastor Baba, not around me, not around any leader. It's around Jesus. Jesus is what makes this church go. Jesus is what makes this church awesome. Jesus is what makes this church tick. Now, when you put together a team, like if you were going to put together any type of team, a sports team or, or um, any team, whatever, but let's take sports for example. You're going to put together a sports team. The number one thing that a coach is going to do is he's going to go out to different other teams. Let's say collegiate or professional. He's going to go out to high schools or colleges, and he's going to try to recruit. Now, what he's doing is he is recruiting certain people that he feels like would be the greatest asset to his team. So if he's looking for a quarterback, he's going to go out and he's going to try to find the best quarterback that there possibly is. Why? Because great coaches know how to tap into the greatest strengths of each one of their players. And then they also are able to identify the weaknesses of their team. You go sit down with every great coach and he can tell you what they do well and what they don't do well. And so he builds everything around the strength of their team. So you go, you know, with the the Saints, they're going to build most of it around Drew Brees for the most part. You go to the Denver Broncos, they're going to build most of it around Peyton Manning for the most part. They're going to take their greatest assets and strengths and they're going to build their team around that greatest strength. Here at Our Savior's Church, we're going to build our church around the greatest strengths and we also know our weaknesses. And here's the deal. We're the weakness, Jesus is the strength. So we don't build it around the weakness, we build it around the strength. And then we pray that everybody, that us and our weaknesses, with the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, would make us strong. And so everything that we do is built around Jesus. He's the reason we're connected. He's the reason we're family. He's the reason we have hope. He's the reason we can love each other. Come on, can I get a witness on that one? He's the reason. He's all that we need. So if you need healing, then you don't just need a message on healing. You need Jesus. If you need deliverance in your life, you need Jesus. Are y'all with me here? I know, I It may be almost too simple, but if you need financial breakthrough, you need Jesus. You need help in your marriage, you need Jesus. You need comfort, you need Jesus. And guess what? I am just going to, every time I stand on this pulpit, keep preaching Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm going to preach it always in a way that you think it's different, but I'm just keep preaching the same thing over and over again, to be honest with you. I have never made up anything new. Every time I get up here, I'm just preaching about how awesome Jesus is. And you just keep coming back. Because this verse says that the cornerstone was Jesus. Now, if you know anything about how buildings were built in those days, the cornerstone was the first initial stone. And it was the stone that lined up the building. It was square. It was 90. They put it right in the corner. And every other stone from that place was patterned after that stone. So if the cornerstone was jacked up, that house was jacked up. That cornerstone was the foundation in which that house was built on. 
And so when you read a verse that says that Jesus is the cornerstone, he's saying when he is the foundation in which we pattern our lives off of, build our lives off, you are strong. We don't, we don't pattern our lives, we don't build our lives around a person, or, or we do around Jesus, but a pastor, we don't build it around our gifts, we don't build it around anything. So it, when I say that the church is not programs, but it's a person, what I mean by that is our church is not a, a student ministry, our church is not our small groups, our church is not this building, our church is not what we do outside of the community, even though all those things are great. Our church is not the programs in which we do, our church is built around the person of Jesus, and those programs hopefully just point people to the greatest source that we have, which is Jesus. He is what holds it all together. And so if this church is built on Jesus, and there's two things that happen, we're going to close it up. I'm not long today. We're going to be right direct. If the church is built on Jesus, there's two things. And let me just say this. This isn't just in regards to the church. This is you. If your life is built on Jesus, you can guarantee these two things will happen. So you can cross out the word church and put your name. Because these are promises that God has not only for the church, but for us as Christians, if we will build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. First off is this, we are an unshakable church. If Jesus is the foundation, if the word of God is the foundation, if what God is and who he is and what he's doing is the foundation and what we preach and where we go, then this church is unshakable and you are unshakable. Now, let's read this verse together. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Look what it says. It says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is precious stone, cornerstone. That is what? It's safe to what? To build on. Now, watch this. Here's the promise. And whoever, whoever believes need never be shaken. That's the promise. Now, let me say this, because I know as soon as I read a a, a verse like this, here's here's the initial reaction that you have. My life feels pretty shaken to me. Come on, how many of you? How many of you? Okay. Liar. Everybody's a liar. My life... You read a verse like this and you go, man, I feel extremely shaken. Man, I don't got no money, don't got no job. My relationships are falling through. When you read a verse like this, let me just tell you what what is happening and what's not happening. He doesn't mean that you will never be shaken in the sense that you'll never go through problems. Because, And the reason we know that is because when you go and you read throughout the rest of the Bible, every other scripture that Jesus usually talks about it talks about that you will go through hard times, that you will be shaken, that, that you will, that there will be things. What he means by this is, is that you won't crumble. You won't be destroyed. Because here, shaking is, is what we need actually in our life to strengthen and fortify us. So God allows, let, let me give you some perspective here. God does not cause sickness. We just set that straight. 
God doesn't cause cancer. He doesn't cause pulmonary hypertension. He doesn't cause a cold. He doesn't cause any of that stuff. But God is sovereign, as we read in this verse, which means he's in control of everything, which means he could stop something. But sometimes he doesn't. And honestly, I don't know why often. I mean, the past couple of months, we've had so many people die in our city, tragically. Could have God stopped it? Yes, he could have. But I do know a couple of things. I know, one, there's a lot of evil in this world. The Bible says it. I also know that God oftentimes allows us to be shaken to reveal what we're building our lives on. So you lose your job. And if you just crumble, God just revealed to you that your life was built on money. <laughs> so God has ways of pulling it out from underneath your feet to remind you that he is what sustains you. And let me say this, that is called grace. Now, it don't feel good. Don't feel good at all. And I think some things happen in our lives because we cause them. When we try to blame God or ask God why it happens, but we cause them. And then I think there's other things that happen in our lives because God does it because, one, he's shaking us and, and, and reminding us that we are to put our trust in him and that he's in control and that he loves us and that he's working all things out. Because guess what happens? When it comes around and you get a job, guess what? You don't put as much hope in that job anymore. Because you remind yourself, like, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in God. It's not in money. It's not in stuff. Come on. The, everything can tank, but if your hope's in Jesus, you will never be shaken, meaning you will never be destroyed. Now, you may lose a job, and you may get diagnosed with something, and there's things that, are, that, that happen in your life, but if you put your hope in God, because here's what it wants to happen. When you get shaken, the number one thing the enemy wants to do is he wants you to doubt that God is good. It's the number one thing he goes after, Right? So you lose a job and you go, where's God? You know what? I guess he's not good. You get diagnosed with a disease. Where's God? I guess he's not good. And that's where the enemy comes in and he literally strips your faith, just destroys it. But if you can anchor, listen to me, church, if you can anchor your soul, that's why we say anchored in hope. If you can anchor your soul, in the fact that Jesus is good. He's a good father. He's working all things out for your good, according to Romans 8, 28. And that he's faithful. And that he loves you. And that he's in control of everything in this world. And that he's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Come on, listen. If you can anchor your soul in that, it doesn't matter what comes your way. You will never, you will never be shaken. Now, that's, that's not to say, hey, listen, that's not to say that you don't have dark days where you question some stuff, because that happens to us often, where you just have dark nights of the soul. David had them all the time. Chapter two, God, I love you. Chapter three, where are you? <laughs> Chapter four, God, you're so faithful. Chapter five, I don't have nothing. <laughs> They're not actually like that, so don't go read Psalms like that. But you get what I'm talking about. Are y'all with me here? 
we're never going to preach to you that if you love Jesus, life's gonna be peachy king. Because anybody that loves Jesus long enough knows, actually, I think most Christians go through the most hell sometimes because we show the world that we have a greater hope than anything else that they put their hope in. So when we put our hope in Jesus, when our church is built on Jesus, we are unshakable. This church is unshakable. PH, cancer four or five times. I mean, how many, how many, how many things can our pastors go through before the devil just realizes you can't shake them? But we're gonna get tested. We're gonna get tested. But here's my encouragement for you. Dig deep. The deeper your foundation is, the more you can go through. The story of the sand, the man who built his house on the sand, the man who built his house on the rock, it all had to do with what the foundation was built on. So I'd encourage you to dig deep. Dig deep into God's word. So that way when those doubts and all that stuff come, you just start spewing out the truth of God's word over those things. Dig deep into that. Number two, we are an unstoppable church. If Jesus is the foundation, he's the cornerstone, he's what we put our hope and our life and everything into, we are an unstoppable church. We are unstoppable. Matthew 16, verse 18. It says this, Jesus looks at Peter, and he looks at all of his disciples around him, and he says, guys, listen to this. Now, this was before the church was actually birthed. Church wasn't birthed until actually the book of Acts. But in Matthew, you read him foretelling what the church is gonna be like. And this is what he tells Peter. He says, Peter, now I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Y'all listen to me. The local church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Why do we put so much money, time, and effort to raise up leaders and to raise money and to raise and to plant churches in Crowley and Eunice. Why? Because the church is the hope of the world. And today over 140, 150 people in Crowley will know Jesus because we planted a church in Crowley, Louisiana. And there'll be one in Kinder and there'll be one in, I don't know, I'll just start calling out cities in Welsh and Lake Arthur and Gaydon and I mean, we're just gonna start planting churches and planting people all in those areas because those areas need Jesus. And we are unstoppable. We are the church. Jesus loves it. Listen to me. Jesus loves it. The world needs it. And you need to be it. I'll say that again because I was like really, really good. I'll preach to myself. I was good. The church. Jesus loves it. The world needs it. You need to be it. So let's do it. I had that one on the end. Nike didn't take that. Let's do it. Here's my challenge. Listen, I have, I have, I have a couple challenges I want to give you to wrap this, this message up. Here's my challenge. If you can, come every week during this series. It's four weeks, so we got three more left. I know if you work offshore, I understand all that. You can't be here, work, whatever. I understand. But do everything you can to be here. Because I, next week, I'm going to share something that our church is about to do that's huge. We have a big announcement next weekend. And we're gonna give a major big reach update as well. Um, and we got the family fun day. So it's gonna be a great day overall. But 
I want to pack this place out. I want to open those doors. There's going to be so many people just everywhere. Because what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, I believe, can transform not only our church, but you. But you. So I want to encourage you to be here. I want to encourage you, number two, to get connected into a life group. You'll, you'll have a list of them next week of all the different ones. We've got 14, 15 meeting all different times, all for different days. We've got financial ones. We've got crafting ones. we got, I mean, we just, just name it all. We've got women's, men's, marriage. They're all going to be all over the place. And I'm, I'm encouraging every person in our church to get a part of community. The next challenge. I'm in, I am encouraging you to invite people. And let me say it this way, don't just invite people, bring people. So this is how this looks. You make an invite to somebody, hey man, I would love for you, 80% of people would show up to church if they were invited. Did you know that? 80%. Means you got an eight out of a 10 10 chance. I want you to invite somebody this week. Invite five people this week. Get on Facebook and start inviting people. Message some people, text some people, go to your neighbors. Say, hey, and this is what you say. Man, I'd love for you to come to my church. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll, so, I'll see you at 930. I'll come pick you up. Or I'll be waiting outside the doors for you. And you bring them. How many of you want to see a lot of people come to know Jesus next weekend? And the weeks to come. We've had over 170 salvations this year at this campus alone. And I honestly believe if you get them here in this building, Jesus will save them. I believe it. I believe it. We're going to preach in a way that is simple for people to know. And just the Spirit of God wants to save people. It's just what He wants to do. And so I encourage you to invite people. I encourage you to get on Facebook, tell people why you love your church. Go order a shirt. You can order a shirt on the way out. Get you a shirt. There's no greater way to have a great conversation with people than just to wear a shirt. Happens with sports teams. Oh, you like LSU? Oh, me too. So what would it be if you wore a I love my church shirt and people are like, you love your church? Where you go? Y'all with me? And will you pray? Pray for us in these coming weeks. I think we're about to experience a growth you've never seen. You think it's crowded now? Just wait. There's a lot of lost people in this city, in this area that need Jesus. And guess who they're waiting on? You. You're the answer. You're the answer. I want you right there where you are. Just bow your heads. And I want to pray over each one of you. And then I'm going to give an opportunity for those that don't know Jesus for you to come and meet Jesus. So Father, we pray, Lord, right now for each person in this room. God, we thank you that you love your church. You love your church, that you died, you gave your life for it. We are your bride. We are your children. We are your family. And God, I pray that you would help us to have the church be such a priority in our life, God. That it wouldn't just be a place that we go and attend, but that it would be a people that we belong to. There's so many people in here that are looking for family, looking for connections. God, I pray that they would make those here. I pray they would make lifetime connections. But God, we know that when we become a part of your church and we join what you're doing, God, that our lives grow, that we get transformed from the inside out. So God, I pray that you would help each person in here, God, to not only get connected, but God, to to value you 
to seek you, to put you at the center of their lives. That Jesus would be their cornerstone. He would be their foundation.